Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, a warm welcome to you and your family. We are truly nearing the end. Recently, the Wall Street Journal commented that the Roman Catholic Church in America has emerged as a major political force. Behind-the-scenes lobbying, coupled with a grassroots mobilization of Catholic churches across the country, has led a decidedly liberal, democratically dominated U.S. House of Representatives to enact a law in harmony with conservative Roman Catholic policy. Though generating howls of protest, the Catholic Church played a central role in one of the most sweeping changes in legislative history in the United States. The bishops forced their will on the House of Representatives and the President to act against their own will. When you see what they did, you will be amazed at the power of Rome in the United States. From a prophetic point of view, this is astonishing, regardless of where you stand on the issues embedded in the legislation. As we begin, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus who loves us and is protecting us as his own. Please send your Holy Spirit today to teach us about prophecy and its consequences in our lives. We are going to look at an amazing development. Help us to understand its implications to the future of your people. May we walk in the light that Jesus sends us. Instill your perfect love in our hearts so that we will not fear the future. But let us understand the urgency of the times in which we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we go any further, I want you to be aware that Keep the Faith is dedicated to documenting fulfilling prophecy. We are not interested in promoting politics or weighing in on partisan issues. We respect our government leaders because God has appointed them a certain amount of time to do their work. In discussing prophecy and its fulfillment, we do not in any way intend to show disrespect to them or to the offices which they hold. However, we also recognize that they are free moral agents and that God does not dictate how they act or think, though everything they do must have His permission and ultimately fulfills His purposes. He may hold back the consequences of their decisions for a time. He may defeat their efforts by using opposing forces. But no one can do anything against the truth but for the truth. That's what 2 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says. He may even send angels in the form of men to argue his case before legislative assemblies. The same goes for religious leaders. We do not disrespect them, and we believe that they have free choice just like anyone else. But today there is an undercurrent that is moving us toward a Sunday law. Bible prophecy tells us that both groups have a large part to play in the final movements. Remember the scripture admonition in Revelation 16 verse 15, which says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
This verse reminds us of the nearness of Jesus' second coming and that he will come as a thief or at a time when we do not expect him. Because of that, it also reminds us that we are to watch. The only way to watch is to open your eyes and see the fulfilling prophecy. Then the verse reminds us to keep our garments. In other words, don't let go of the righteousness of Christ, lest you be shamed by sin which brings nakedness of character. Friends, this is vital counsel for the last generation. Notice the combination of watching and righteous living. More than ever we need righteous living through the righteousness of Jesus, for the time is at hand when the prophecies are being fulfilled in rapid succession. Your eternal destiny is at stake at this very moment. Don't delay the necessary preparation. I'm going to read a powerful prophetic statement from Scripture. It is one that you may well recognize, especially if you are one of our regular subscribers, because I've quoted it before. It is from Revelation 17. Beginning with verse 1, the scripture says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Then the Apostle John describes a woman in scarlet sitting on a scarlet-colored beast, full of blasphemy, etc. This beast and woman represent Roman Catholicism, both a civil power represented by a beast and a church represented by a woman. There is no other entity on earth that can meet the description given here than the Roman Catholic Church. But I want you to notice that the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication or her doctrines. Fornication is when someone is unfaithful. This church has doctrines that are unfaithful to the Lord and to Scripture. That drunkenness which inebriates the inhabitants of the earth spiritually is already happening. Rome has so successfully developed her popularity in Western countries that most people living in those countries don't have much objection to her doctrines or to her power, except a very few secular people or those who have rather liberal lifestyles and beliefs. Of course, those that understand Bible prophecy and who accept Jesus and all the truth into their hearts and lives will not be drunk with her wine either. But they, too, are really a small minority. Note also that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with Rome. The rulers of this world seek Rome's counsel. They are also influenced by Rome in making their decisions. Rome in many ways has developed very powerful influence. This power is reflected in many different ways. For instance, in 1989, Germany was reunited and the Berlin Wall separating east and west was no more. This was engineered by John Paul II working together with Ronald Reagan and other world leaders and was reported in Time magazine as a clandestine campaign which was one of the greatest secret alliances of all time. In other words, they were in a conspiracy against communism and amazingly, without knowing it, they were fulfilling prophecy. Rome could never recover old Europe and thereby resurrect the Holy Roman Empire without the dissolution of Eastern European communism, particularly that which controlled Central and Eastern Europe. It was one of Rome's key political achievements under John Paul II. 
which then paved the way for the European Union to be melded together, which is now a federated block of nations with an overriding supranational constitution and government. This is essentially the way Europe was in the Middle Ages, when Rome controlled it. There are new people, there are new documents, and new agencies, but the principles are the same, and Rome is working very hard to rebuild the ancient relationships that will put her on the throne of Europe. Even the European president is a Jesuit-trained Roman Catholic. What happened between John Paul and Reagan was an alliance, a cooperative effort. Rome had a lot of power in Poland, because more than 90% of its people are Roman Catholic. John Paul II was also a Pole. This made it very difficult for the Polish communist government to overrule him. In fact, they were utterly unsuccessful. But that was in 1989. Since then, the popularity of Rome in America has dramatically increased. Americans are awed by Rome. This gives Rome tremendous influence and power. Now Rome has expanded her political efforts and is determined to influence the nation's laws whenever possible. Once Rome has power to dictate the laws she wants, she will influence lawmakers to enact her ultimate geopolitical objective, Sunday Laws. The Holy See, which is the official name of the Vatican among the nation-states, has bragged that she has considerable greatness. According to Cardinal Tarsicio Bertoni, the Vatican Secretary of State, the Holy See is small but great, the greatest in the world from any point of view, quoted Zenit on February 13, 2009. Bertoni was speaking at a conference marking the 80th anniversary of the Lateran Treaty of 1929, which established the current Vatican as an independent city-state and recognized its sovereignty. This was also the beginning of the healing of the deadly wound mentioned in Revelation 13, verse 3. Cardinal Bertoni noted in a special way the funeral of John Paul II and the election of Benedict XVI, which brought to Rome the top political authorities of the world and massive crowds. The pontificate of John Paul II, the second longest in history and perhaps the most influential in recent times from a global perspective, elevated the popularity of the papacy to unprecedented levels which greatly enhanced its political influence and power. The Bible also identifies the papacy as great, particularly in regard to her arrogance and sins and her blasphemy against God, all in the name of God and of Christ. For example, Daniel 7.25 says that the Holy See speaks great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. If ever any organization was great in changing God's law by changing the Sabbath both in time and in law, it is the Catholic Church. If ever any organization wore out the saints of the Most High by persecuting them, it is the papacy, even while creating a great many so-called saints of her own. The Bible even speaks with a Vatican city-state. What city is like unto this great city? wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. That's Revelation 18, verse 18 and 19. And speaking of the great whore, it says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. 
Vatican City is indeed great. Cardinal Bertoni was not speaking idly when he said that the Holy See is the greatest in the world from any point of view. Perhaps he wasn't referring to the Bible's definition of the greatness of the Vatican and the Holy See, but from a prophetic point of view, he inadvertently confirmed the words of sacred scripture nevertheless. That greatness is reflected in so many aspects of Rome's relationships with nation-states too. Leaders of most nations, when in Europe on official business, stop in Rome for an audience with the Pope. And Rome knows that this gives her political power on a global scale. But perhaps for Rome there is no greater prize than to manipulate the United States, which was originally founded on Protestant principles. Rome has been patiently working to strengthen her power in the United States so that she would be able to influence its laws and policies. That day has now come. Listen to this powerful statement from the book Great Controversy, page 581. God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are only when it is too late to escape the snare. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. Perhaps we could say that Rome has silently grown into power. This prophecy has been largely fulfilled, but it has more to go. Rome has not yet influenced the United States to pass a Sunday law. But note also that her doctrines are gaining acceptance and influence in legislative halls too. And today I'm going to show you a direct fulfillment of this prophecy and the prophecy about the kings or rulers of the earth committing fornication with Rome and specifically her doctrines. But before I do, let us read the rest of the paragraph in Great Controversy, page 581. It goes like this. She, meaning Rome, is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. We shall soon see and shall feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution." I wonder why the author linked Rome's popularity and legislative influence with persecution of those who follow God's law. Isn't that interesting? Perhaps the reason is self-evident. Laws are made by nations. When Rome gains popularity and influence, she gains political strength. Then she pressures lawmakers to make laws that suit her. Note that there will come a time for her to strike. I wonder why the author used this term strike. It reminds us of a snake coiled up and ready to strike the innocent little mouse that is minding his own business, doing what God made him to do. The passage I read says that Rome is strengthening her forces. This is talking about her influence, and particularly in democratic Western countries, it is talking about votes. She is doing this in many ways. For instance, she does this through Catholic immigration into Western Europe and the USA and other Western nations. She also has her bishops' conferences close to the centers of power in Western nations. In the United States, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is in Washington, D.C., not far from the White House and Congress. 
Needless to say, the bishops designed it that way so that they can influence these individuals and legislative bodies and the votes they cast for legislative actions. She also promotes causes that advocate for the poor, which, while a good thing in itself, Rome uses to strengthen her power and influence with the people. This translates into votes for and against those individuals or laws that Rome endorses or does not endorse. Her Jesuit institutions influenced generation after generation of congressmen and congresswomen and other political leaders who are trained in them. This list of her forces could go on and on. But Rome's influence was powerfully manifested in a recent vote in the United States House of Representatives and subsequently forced the president to take action to support Rome's demands. Remember that the Speaker of the House is a Roman Catholic named Nancy Pelosi. Though she is liberal, she has very good relations with the Roman Catholic hierarchy in the United States and abroad, particularly in Rome, as you will soon see. Also, remember that the majority leader of the House of Representatives, Steny Hoyer, is also a Roman Catholic. And again, the minority leader of the House of Representatives is John Boehner, another Roman Catholic. Moreover, Roman Catholics make up essentially 30% of the U.S. Congress, many of whom were trained at Jesuit institutions, the most notable of which is Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., the decision that I am referring to is the health care bill that was recently enacted by Congress so that there can be universal health care in the United States. It is really a bill which is a dramatic step toward socialization of American health care. It has been a key platform of President Obama's administration. Interestingly, the Catholic Church since 1963 has supported the concept of universal health care at public expense. The Church and the liberal administration have found common cause. While I don't want to get into all the ramifications of this particular law, I do need to tell you just one piece of information that will help you understand the rest of what I'm going to say. Originally, this bill had provisions in it that would allow the government to pay for abortions as part of the health care plan. The bill delegated to the Secretary of Health and Human Services the power to make abortion an essential benefit in all health plans and in any public plan created by the legislation. But the final House of Representatives version of the bill does not have that provision. In fact, abortion was specifically excluded from the House version in spite of the fact that President Obama is a strong supporter of liberal abortion laws, as is Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. How the bill was changed is the story you need to hear. Her position on abortion is one of Rome's doctrines on which God's people can agree. Nevertheless, Rome uses this doctrine for her own ends. In this case, Rome saw her opportunity to pressure liberal abortion-supporting lawmakers into removing the abortion funding in order to pass the law. The original bill created a firestorm of opposition, which stemmed from various aspects of the legislation. The health care bill ran into problems in subcommittee. Conservatives, especially Catholic members of Congress had introduced an amendment to prevent federal money from paying for abortions. But the committees dropped the amendment, much to the dismay of the Catholic Church. It appeared as though the health care bill was in trouble. 
Conservatives in Congress were strong enough to defeat the whole bill if it did not prevent support for abortion. Then the bishops weighed in. Cardinal Regali of Philadelphia, who is the chairman of the bishops' pro-life committee, wrote Congress a letter on July 29, which vowed that the bishops would vigorously oppose a health care bill that provided funding for abortion. No one should be required to pay or to participate in abortion, the letter said. We sincerely hope that the legislation will not fall short of our criteria, the letter also says. However, we remain apprehensive when amendments protecting freedom of conscience and ensuring no taxpayer money for abortion are defeated in committee votes, they said. Clearly, the bishops were planning to use their influence to lobby Congress to comply with Rome's doctrine. Remember that the issue is not about whether you agree with Rome's position. It is about Rome's increasing power to enforce her doctrine. But as the debate wended its way through Congress, I wondered if the Catholic Church would get more involved in some way. Little did I know that they were actually going to mobilize a major campaign to engineer a coup d'etat and force liberal Democrats to vote in favor of conservative amendments against abortion funding in the bill. On November 11, 2009, the Associated Press published an article entitled Catholic Bishops Shape Health Care Bill. The opening statement is very revealing. Catholic bishops have emerged as a formidable force in the health care overhaul fight, using their clout with millions of Catholics and working behind the scenes in Congress to get strong abortion restrictions into the House bill. Notice that the bishops use their clout with millions of Catholics in America, 68 million of them in fact, to pressure Congress to do their will. They worked behind the scenes, stealthily, I might add, just as prophecy predicted. The second sentence in the article is just as revealing. The bishops don't spend a dime on what is legally defined as lobbying, but lawmakers and insiders recognize that the bishops' voices matter and they move votes. The Wall Street Journal revealed much of the powerful campaign conducted by the bishops. Listen. At least four representatives of the Bishops' Conference worked the House, holding private meetings with lawmakers and Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The group distributed talking points to priests across the country and gave flyers to churches featuring the headline, Health care reform is about saving lives, not destroying them. A prayer circulated to churches supporting an overhaul of the health care system included the phrase, We will raise our voices to protect the unborn. But that's not all they did, as you will see in a few minutes. Here's a little history. In the United States, there has been a long-standing open relationship between the leaders of government and the Roman Catholic bishops. Ever since at least the Carter administration, presidents and popes began to cavort together and work in secret alliances to accomplish mutual geopolitical goals. These successful alliances have also opened the door for the bishops to become increasingly involved in direct intervention in domestic government affairs in the intervening years. As the Roman Catholic population in the United States has increased dramatically through immigration, and as the Catholic Church has become dramatically more popular in the last 30 years, the bishops have gained tremendous political clout. 
Almost all Americans have no objections to a foreign geopolitical power strongly influencing U.S. politics, if it is the Roman Catholic Church. The journal revealed what really happened secretly behind closed doors. Representatives for the bishops were in House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's capital suite negotiating with top officials as they reached final terms of the agreement. Earlier in the day, Pelosi, a Catholic and an abortion rights supporter, had been contacted by Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, Washington's former archbishop, now in Rome. He called her from Rome to discuss the abortion restrictions that he and Rome wanted in the bill. It was just one element of an intensive lobbying effort orchestrated by the nation's Catholic bishops, wrote Breitbart.com, who have emerged as a formidable force in the health care negotiations. But this was only the beginning of the bishops' intervention. They had a well-planned strategy. I'll quote again from the article. It wasn't the first time a high-ranking Catholic had weighed in with a key player on writing strict abortion curbs into the health care measure. Boston's Cardinal Sean P. O'Malley personally appealed to President Barack Obama about it near the church altar, of all places, at the early September funeral for Senator Edward M. Kennedy. In addition, the bishops quietly called their congressmen and senators to weigh in. Rome worked every angle she could. The Stupec Amendment, by which the abortion restrictions are known, was the tool used to pressure Congress. It was designed and introduced by Representative Bart Stupek, a Roman Catholic and a strong abortion opponent, even though he is a Democrat. The Stupek Amendment wasn't even considered to be a viable option until the Catholic bishops got involved the week before the vote with a massive campaign to pressure the House of Representatives to take out abortion funding. Listen to Bart Stupek's own words. The Catholic Church used her power, their clout, if you will, to influence this issue. They had to. It's a basic teaching of the religion. It was actually Stupek, said the AP report, who told Pelosi that if she wanted a deal on the health bill, she'd be well advised to invite the bishop's staff, who were already in his office, to her table. I said, well, they're here, and they're one of the key groups you want to have on your side, so why don't we just bring them in and work this out, Stupek said. Pelosi did, and the result revealed what really went on behind the scenes. The bishops' conference convinced Nancy and other leading Democrats that the only way to get the House version of the health care bill passed was to include the anti-abortion Stupak Amendment. The Stupak Amendment passed the House 240 to 196, leading to the narrow passage of the entire bill. The amendment was co-sponsored by Joseph Pitts, an evangelical from Pennsylvania, and a strong abortion foe as well. This is an example of Catholics and Evangelicals working together to achieve Rome's political goals. The battle had become intense, both over the involvement of the Catholic Church and the amendment. There were actually up to 40 Democrats that were dissatisfied with the bill. They would have been enough to stop Pelosi's health care bill if they were all unwilling to vote yes. 
Pelosi and her fellow Democratic leaders were working behind closed doors, scrambling to forge a compromise right down to the 11th hour to save the legislation. Rome obviously took advantage of this situation. Several Democrats, including Representative Jason Altmeyer from Pennsylvania, said they are in touch with their Catholic bishops back home. Altmeyer said he must have the approval of his bishop in Pittsburgh before he can vote yes. Imagine having to ask your pastor's approval to vote for something like this. How is it that the Catholic bishops have such powerful influence? Representative Steve Drayhouse of Ohio said he's trying to get to yes, but he said he won't vote for the health care bill unless it says no federal funds used to pay for abortions, and so that means no federal funds used to pay for abortion in the public option. Drehaus is a Roman Catholic who worked closely with Jesuit Xavier University for a time as a teacher of political science and as a one-time director and now consultant to the Community Building Institute, a collaborative effort of Xavier and United Way. Drehaus is very friendly with the Jesuits and no doubt understands how to work with them. Fox News 4 published an editorial by radio commentator Bill Press entitled, Congress of Catholic Bishops. Consider this scenario, wrote Press. After months of debate, the national legislature is set to cast a historic vote. But before legislators can vote yea or nay, the bill must first be sent to the country's Supreme Religious Council for its approval. Only after unelected clerics give their blessing are elected politicians permitted to vote. Did that happen in Iran? No, it happened right here in the House of Representatives during the vote on health care reform. A carefully crafted piece of legislation, the result of months of debate by three different House committees, was before the House for a final vote. But at the 11th hour, lobbyists for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops descended on Capitol Hill, declared they could not accept provisions in the bill restricting federal funding of abortion, demanded that the language be made tougher, and dutiful Democrats did just what the bishops ordered. In other words, the conservative Catholic vote in the House of Representatives was so vital to Nancy Pelosi that she knew, ultimately, that she had to have the bishops' support. She needed 218 votes. Considering that the bill lacked 19 votes up to that time, it was astonishing that the bill narrowly passed, suggesting that the arm-twisting was very intense. The final count was 220 in favor of the bill, just two votes to spare. It also suggests that those 21 votes were holding up the voting in favor of the demands of the Catholic Church. Obviously, my friends, the Catholic bishops convinced Pelosi and certain other Democratic leaders that they would lose the whole health care reform bill if they didn't make the abortion changes. Bill Press continued, In so doing, they might just as well have tossed the First Amendment and its separation of church and state right out the window. Civil liberty advocates should be equally angry over such a blatant violation of the Constitution, he said. In effect, members of Congress gave Catholic bishops a veto over federal legislation, power that no group of religious leaders should hold over a secular, popularly elected Congress. Who elected the bishops anyway, and whom do they represent? My friends, the stones are crying out. 
Though Mr. Press, a Catholic, is on the other side of the abortion question from the bishops, and even though many of God's people would agree with the bishops' concerns, students of prophecy should not miss the importance of what happened. Listen to the prophet Daniel in speaking of the power of Rome. It's from chapter 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. While we have not seen this power in its fullest strength, we are beginning to see how Rome does this. She devoured the Democrats and broke them down. This is only the beginning, folks. But we must see that this is a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. Rome is getting ready to devour God's people if she can, and destroy the mighty and the holy people, Daniel 8.25 says. Those are the ones who keep all of God's commandments, and have the Holy Spirit in latter rain power. Rome is demonstrating her power as she rises to the height to which prophecy destines her. Bill Press made another very interesting point. Why is there special treatment for Catholic bishops, he asked. Can you imagine the complaints from Democrats if religious conservatives James Dobson and Pat Robertson had been given the same access? Or the howls of outrage from conservatives if Congress first took time out to ask Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson for their blessing? Not to mention the universal uproar there would be were a group of Muslim clerics consulted before the vote. No other group of religious leaders would have been given that special access to the corridors of power. While any Roman Catholic, even a bishop, has the right to speak out on political matters in America as an individual, it is another thing, however, for the bishops to lobby Congress as a religious entity or church, and then go on a full-throttle campaign to pressure Congress through Catholic church members. This is a violation of the intent of the First Amendment of separation of church and state in the United States Constitution, if not the Constitution itself. The reason the bishops have, met, have such powerful influence is because of the dual nature of the Catholic Church. No other church has the kind of power that Rome has because they are not a mixture of church and nation-state. The Bible tells us this in Revelation 17 by describing this entity as both a beast and a woman. There are other nations that mix religion and politics, but none of them have the global clout that Rome has. Bill Press concluded, If Catholic bishops are going to demand a voice in legislation, then they must do what all other special interests in Washington do, register as lobbyists and pay their taxes. If they insist on playing politics, then we should insist on taking away the Catholic Church's tax-exempt status. In other words, the nation's laws are being influenced and manipulated by a powerfully influential church that is doing so without paying taxes. This is illegal in the United States, in fact. In essence, the Vatican actually passed judgment on civil legislation in the United States Congress before the vote was taken, and in effect delivered Catholic votes for it once their demands were met. The outcome of the legislation in the House demonstrates that while the Republicans don't have the votes to stop proposed legislation, the Vatican has the power to get it passed in harmony with its own agenda. 
Notice that the Roman Catholic Church, a foreign nation, is now in a position to judge at least some of America's laws. This should not go unnoticed by students of prophecy. When the Catholic Church has the power to successfully pressure the U.S. House of Representatives against their own majority, we have come to an unprecedented moment in history. It makes you wonder how long it will be until Rome will reach critical mass, so that any law that impinges on her principles will ultimately be engineered or fixed by the Catholic bishops. More dangerously, how long will it be until Rome is capable of getting laws initiated and passed that restrict God's last generation of Sabbath keepers, such as Sunday laws? While you and I may agree with Rome's position concerning abortion, this process in Congress to politically pressure legislative representatives to do her will, even though the vast majority disagree with Rome concerning abortion, is extremely significant. There were enough conservative Democrats, mostly Catholic, who oppose abortion and would not vote in favor of the legislation unmodified, that the liberal and most powerful Democrats had to forego one of their key principles to bring the conservatives over to support the health care bill. The fact that the bill passed by only two votes tells us that Rome has enough power to influence the outcome if it is one of Rome's key principles, even when there is a wide margin of votes against her. It also tells us that Rome doesn't yet have full throttle power if the House is more united against her positions. But she is well on the way to having it. Not that long ago, the Republicans held the power of Congress. Democrats were very weak for most of the years between the Reagan administration and the present. The Democratic Party had to get more conservative Democrats elected into congressional office. Listen to the Wall Street Journal. The bishop's success, wrote the journal, served as a reminder that Democrats' strategy over the past two election cycles of recruiting more conservative candidates to run in competitive House and Senate seats can have unwelcome policy consequences for liberals among the party's base. About 40 House Democrats are opposed to abortion rights. Do you see what happened? Once there were enough conservative Democrats in Congress that were opposed to abortion, the Catholic Church could then use them to manipulate Congress into legislating in harmony with her religious principles. That is dangerous, my friends. What would happen if more conservative Democrats were elected to the U.S. Congress? The bishops have a history of political activism, continued the journal. In the 2004 presidential race, some bishops said they would refuse to grant communion to Democratic nominee John Kerry, a Catholic who favored abortion rights. In 2005, the bishops' conference backed efforts by then-President George W. Bush and Republican lawmakers to intervene in the Terry Schiavo right-to-die case. But rarely has the Church entered the fray with such decisive force as it did with the health care reform bill. Remember that of the members of Congress, 30% are Roman Catholic. Most of them are liberals, but should that change and more conservatives get voted into office over time, the landscape could change, giving Rome additional power. However, even now, full power could arise on a specific issue if almost the whole nation were united concerning it. For instance, if massive disasters occurred and the bishops 
Mainstream pastors and evangelical preachers began promoting Sunday observance as a way to get the nation back to God. Sunday laws could easily pass through the House and Senate rather quickly. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, continued the Associated Press, derives its power in large part from the sheer number of Catholics in this country, but also from the special moral and religious standing of its members. Many of them are in regular contact with lawmakers, weighing in on issues from immigration policy to benefits for low-income people. Note the point about special moral and religious standing of the Catholic Church members. The suggestion here is that they have more power and influence than other people when Roman Catholic members speak. Kathy Siley, a spokesperson for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, made a very telling comment that was quoted in the AP article mentioned earlier. After pointing out that the Democrats are keenly aware of the power of Catholic voters, more than 50% of whom voted for President Obama, the AP reported that Kathy Siley said this was a lot of members of Congress listening to their constituents. Of course, she means that mainly Roman Catholic constituents were being listened to by Democrats that are keenly aware of their power. This comment, coming from the Catholic bishop's spokesperson, suggests that the bishops had been working behind the scenes, urging their people to contact their elected officials, even telling them what to say. This is, in fact, exactly what the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops did. They engaged in an outright, all-out campaign, largely out of sight of the public press, by distributing flyers to every parish in the nation, asking people to pray for abortion restrictions, and to call their congressmen and senators, asking them to fix these bills with pro-life amendments, said the AP report. Moreover, continued the AP article, the conference staff got elbow deep in the legislative machinations on the health measure, even having bishops intervene with Republicans who were loath to help Democrats pass their bill to make sure they supported the abortion provisions. In other words, the bishops worked both sides of the political aisle to get the legislation passed with provisions satisfactory to themselves. Incidentally, they weren't as successful with the Republicans as they were with the Democrats. Only one Republican voted for the bill. His name was Joseph Cowell, a Roman Catholic from New Orleans, Louisiana. Once the anti-abortion provisions were included, he was prepared to support the health care reform bill. Cowell studied for six years at a Jesuit seminary to become a Jesuit priest, but eventually abandoned that to pursue philosophy and law. Cowell attended both Jesuit Fordham University in New York and Loyola University in New Orleans to acquire his master's degree and his law degree, respectively. Loyola had him teaching undergraduate philosophy classes while in law school there. No doubt Cowell is very familiar with Catholic teaching and the Church's positions concerning universal health care and abortion. Moreover, one would expect that he could be depended on to assist Rome in her efforts to get the legislation passed in the House of Representatives. The AP article went on to say that the outcome of the health care vote in the House of Representatives left abortion rights supporters, who couldn't muster enough votes in the House to head off Catholic intervention, fuming. The bishops essentially got sign-off. They dictated this, and it's totally inappropriate. 
It's blatant interference between church and state, said Eleanor Smeal of the feminist majority. The women's movement and the pro-choice forces feel like they were had. I want you to think about those comments for a minute. Can you see what is happening? Those who are defending the separation of church and state in this case are the feminists and pro-abortionists. Will those who defend the separation of church and state on the grounds of Bible principle get lumped in with these? When the best solution to a national or international emergency is a religious solution that sounds very pious and righteous, but is actually overturning the separation of church and state and compelling people to break the law of God, how effective do you think God's faithful people will be in arguing in favor of separation of church and state and against Sunday laws? when linked with people that press progressive liberal agendas. Friends, in more than one way, God's Sabbath-keeping people have also been had by the Roman Catholic bishop's intervention. It's only a matter of time. Tony Perkins, head of the Family Research Council, an evangelical group that tends to side with Republicans, said Saturday's vote ranked among the most important victories for abortion foes since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, legalizing the procedure, because it came under Democratic leadership, reported the Wall Street Journal. Speaking of the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi said at a press conference, We are glad to take responsibility for this bill and the credit. But the real credit goes to the Catholic bishops, my friends, whose aggressive campaign handed the vote to the Democrats. When the Vatican has the ability to turn liberal Democrats on their heads, my friends, we can see that Rome has largely fulfilled its prophetic destiny to become perhaps the most powerful religious and political influence in American politics. Listen to this statement from the book Great Controversy, page 588. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling the rights of conscience. The United States is perhaps toward the end of the process of reaching across the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. Friends, we are in the state of orange alert, and not far from red alert. The evidence indicates that the bishops and the Vatican itself are calling the shots behind the scenes, wrote Accuracy in Media.com. In fact, as many media organizations are now reporting, they engineered the compromise that deleted abortion funding so the bill could pass the House. The bishops also went after the Senate but were not able to get a similar amendment to the Senate version of the bill to eliminate abortion funding. Apparently, the Senate doesn't have enough abortion foes yet for the Catholic Church to do what it did in the House. That is why Rome has clearly not reached the zenith of her power. However, during the reconciliation process between the two versions of the bill, the bishops again pressed hard for the removal of the funding. Again, the conservative members of the House held out for abortion restrictions. This, in turn, forced President Obama to issue an executive order restricting funding for abortion in the reconciled bill. Only then did enough conservatives vote in favor of the bill. 
The bishops are not satisfied with an executive order because it can be easily changed. No doubt they will keep at it until they get what they want. Because of other constitutional issues in the bill, there are already lawsuits by some states against the United States federal government to challenge the whole law. Certainly the bishops will use their clout to influence the outcome if they can. Friends, as we get closer to the time of the close of probation, do you think there are some things that you should do to get ready for the crisis? I hope you are taking these things very seriously and doing what you have to do to have a very close relationship with Jesus. Now is the time, not some time in the future. Today is the day of salvation. We must be spiritually prepared if we want to be protected by God's grace when there is no human law to do so. Let us pray for God's presence and protection. Our loving Father, how much we need Jesus and your powerful angels to protect us in the coming crisis. We can see that we are almost there. We can see that prophecy is being fulfilled rapidly. We know that if we are very close to Jesus, he will put us under the shadow of the Almighty and protect us from evil. Though we will face difficult and challenging times, we can face them without fear when Jesus stands by our side and His Holy Spirit is in our hearts. Thank you for your promises. Now keep us from falling into temptation and help us to prepare. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Show. Sure.
We hope that you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is entitled, His Eye is on the Sparrow, sung by Jennifer Buttery. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Seekers of Your Heart. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry.